morning, Centerpoint Church. How are we doing? My name is Chris Finch, and I serve as the executive pastor and the campus pastor of Wesley Chapel. And so today, Bryant and I swapped, and so he had the, the light Sunday. He only had to preach once today. And since pastors only work one day a week, he really had it pretty easy. And so today, but I'm, I'm here, uh, and uh, we're excited to continue on in a series that we started last week called Summer Party Series. And I don't know about your summer. How many of you have a birthday during the summer? We've got a few birthdays during the summer. So for, for a lot of you, man, summer is already a time of celebration. Maybe you have birthday. Maybe it's an anniversary. For most of us, we're going to take a, a trip, go to the beach, vacation, do something fun that we look forward to maybe every year. Well, here at Centerpoint, we decided to start the summer by celebrating some of the things in the Bible and, and really looking at some characters in the Bible and look at some of the things that are celebrated in those characters' lives. And if you were here last week, Bryant started us off and we talked about David and, and we looked at his selflessness. Well, today we're going to look at a guy that uh, is a young man when we meet him, about 17 years old, and he's actually a guy that we are going to celebrate something in his life that, that honestly we honor, but we all, don't always want to do the things it takes to have what he has, and it's this area of faithfulness. And uh, we're going to look at a guy that was faithful when the rug got ripped out under him, and he was faithful when he was on the top of the world and uh, as you think about faithfulness, like I said, in our society, man, we honor and we're happy for people that are faithful. Man, if you're on a diet right now, we are so thankful that you're being faithful to your diet. We love that you've lost weight. We love, you know, you tell us about how, how your diet's going. And we love that you've been faithful and that things are going well. But we look at you and think, giving up ice cream during the summer, I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, we're happy for you. We wish we could be faithful like you, but we're like, yeah, I want that, but I also want my ice cream at night. And so faithfulness sometimes is something we honor and want, but it's not always something that is convenient. Maybe that's the best way to say it. And, and really, simply put, we live in a world, and maybe you've experienced this, where circumstances many times determine our commitment level. We live in a world where when the circumstances are one way and when the circumstances are convenient and are in our favor, our natural bent is to be committed, to be faithful. But if we're honest, we also, when, when things kind of go wrong or when the circumstances change, at least whether we are unfaithful or not, at least inside of us, we begin to question Man, it's not going as well. And, and if you have a, a student and, or you have a grandchild that, that, that lives with you or you have a lot of influence in, one of the things that we, we work with our kids about a lot is this, man. Man, if your teacher's bad, okay, you still got to be faithful. If your coach isn't as nice as you want him to be, if your boss doesn't treat you the way you think you need to be treated, it doesn't matter. You have to continue to be faithful. But if we're honest, man, that's tough to do. It's tough to be faithful. It's tough to stick to something. It's tough to remain committed when the rug gets pulled out from under us or the circumstances change or things aren't as convenient as they were. And we're going to look at a guy in the Bible, and his name was Joseph. And at the age of 17 is kind of when we meet Joseph. And Joseph's a guy that grew up in a family that if they were doing reality TV shows or soap operas, he would have been the family to do it about. Uh, he was one of 12 kids, one of 12 sons. 
His dad's name was Jacob. His great-grandpa was named Abraham. You've probably heard of Abraham. And, and he had 11 brothers, and they were born to four different ladies. So dad Jacob, four different moms, 12... Bro- I mean, you, I, I grew up in a family with three boys, and my mom is a hero. Imagine having 12 boys in the house. Well, this is what they had. And, and if you were to read through this whole story, you would see... That there is drama, there is seduction, there is abandonment. I mean, the, the story is dysfunctional, and it would be must-see TV if it was something that we was happening today. And if you have your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen, we're going to look at Genesis 37, and we're going to begin to be introduced to this young man at the age of 17 who will live his life, and he will see the rug get pulled out from under him many times, But yet we're going to see something remain faithful in his life. Look with me at Genesis chapter 37 as we just begin to be introduced to this really dysfunctional family. It says this, Now Israel, which is another name for his dad Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. If this is true about you, you at least hold that inside if you're a smart parent. Like, I like this kid better than this kid. You're not going to announce that. You're just going to feel it inside. You might slip that one a, a little more money than this one. But at the end of the day, everybody thinks you like them all the same. That's at least what you say. And hopefully you really do. But, but see, Joseph's dad wasn't that smart. So it says Joseph's dad, he, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age And he made an ornate, whatever that means, robe for him. So this, if you grew up in Sunday school and you remember the flannel graph boards and the coat of many colors on Joseph, this is the the coat we're talking about. So his dad loved him so much, and I guess in this day and age, in order to show you really love this kid and honor this kid, you make him a coat. So everybody else was... You know, they were, they were cold during the winter, but not Joseph. He had like this coat that nobody else had. And dad made it clear, this is my favorite son. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, shocker, and could not speak a kind word to him. So this is like, if you were to walk into Joseph's house, you'd see this little itty-bitty picture of the other eleven. And then the wallpaper would be Joseph's face and favorite son written on it. I mean, this was how it was out in the open. It was in the face of the other brothers. And it says these other brothers, they didn't just not like Joseph. They hated him, and they couldn't even find one nice thing to say about him. So the story goes on, and Joseph, at the age of 17, he's a little cocky as a 17-year-old. If you have a 17-year-old in your house, you understand this. I have a 15-year-old, and he's, he's in that same range. But, but you, you get it. And so Joseph, he comes to his brothers one day, and he says, Hey, guys, you will not guess what I dreamt about last night. And in fact, you guys were part of my dream, and man, you're really going to want to know what I dreamt about. And so, okay, humor us, Joseph. Tell us about your dream. And so Joseph says this in verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And so you can imagine Joseph is not liked even more. If you could hate him more than hate, he's hated more. 
And then another time, and Joseph doesn't learn, he actually comes back to his brothers and he says, hey guys, I actually had another dream. And it was a different dream, but kind of the same outcome. You guys bow down to me. And so this 17-year-old, you already want to kick him because he's a 17-year-old cocky kid. And, and he's telling his brothers that one day you are going to bow down to me. And so they have had enough with this kid. And so they're out, and this is what you would imagine. Joseph's at home jumping on the trampoline, swimming in the pool, drinking the you know, lemonade, special lemonade his dad made, and all the other brothers are out working. And so Joseph's dad comes to him and says, hey, Joseph, I need you to go check up on your brothers and kind of report back to me what's going on. And so, so he sends Joseph out, and as Joseph goes out to see his brothers, his brothers see him coming, and this is, it has reached a boiling point, and they are done and they're going to take care of Joseph once and for all. They, I mean, they're, they're not going to be nice. They're not even going to like argue with him. They're just going to kill him. That's the plan. And then one of his brothers named Reuben says, eh, I don't know about killing him. I mean, we'll be on 2020 one night. It won't go well for us. We're going to be a story. Let's not kill him. And so look, look what they did to Joseph. In Genesis 37, look at verse 23. It says, when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, which I'm sure they loved doing that. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. So when they see him coming, they take him. And instead of killing him, they rough him up a little bit and they throw him into basically like a dry well. And they leave him there and they're, they're maybe sitting around the fire and kind of just deciding, okay, now how are we going to go about you know, finishing this thing off? And then all of a sudden, you know, they're still debating whether they should kill him or not. All of a sudden, off in the distance, they see a caravan of people that look to be headed to Egypt. And they say, you know what? Let's sell our brother to these people and let's sell him to, to be a slave and they'll take him to Egypt. It'll, he'll be as good as dead and we'll actually profit off this thing. Let's do that. And so that's exactly what they did in verse 28. It says, so the, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. So, I mean, they hated him so much, they didn't even want to kill him. They wanted to ruin the rest of his life and profit off of it. And so imagine being Joseph. I mean, you're at this point 17, 18 years old. Your brothers hate you to the point that they won't even kill you. They just want to ruin your life. And so they sell you to some people that you've never met before. And you are being taken away into a land that for us might as well be the moon. I mean, this is like you're never coming back. You're never seeing anybody you've ever known. You're gone forever. And you're going to be a slave the rest of your life. And, and Joseph, by the way, you think it's bad now? Over the next 13 years, it's actually going to get a lot worse for you. And yet, this young man, who has just been abandoned by his family, he's been betrayed, he will be betrayed again, he will be to the point of imprisonment, he's about to go through it. Throughout the next 13 years, you see something very consistent about this young man. And if Joseph's life had a message, it would simply be this. Confident God is with me and has a plan, I will seek to be faithful. See, faithfulness didn't always pay off the way Joseph had preferred. And you'll see that. And you can probably relate with that. I mean, have you ever been in a spot in your life where, where you 
were seeking to be faithful. As far as you knew, you were doing the right thing. You, you were going in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems like the rug has been pulled out from under you. And you were just on your back, looking up, thinking, what in the world just happened to me? I thought I was doing the right things. I thought, thought, thought I was being faithful. And now look where it got me. And for Joseph... This happened to him time and time again over this 13 years. And he didn't even have age to bring maturity. He's still a young man and he sees the rug just pulled out from under him so many times. And yet throughout his life you see a young man that chooses to be faithful. Understanding that God is with him and that God has a plan. And so he's he's sold to Egypt. He, He gets into Egypt and he is sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar is a very important person in in Egypt. He's actually the captain of the guard. He works directly with Pharaoh. And so, very interestingly, as, as soon as Joseph, now probably in his early 20s, he's sold to Potiphar, and, and, he's, and he's beginning to work for Potiphar, and he starts to kind of get his legs back under him, so to speak. In fact, to the point where when Potiphar puts him in charge of things and he gives him small things to do and, and, and he notices, that man, everything this kid touches turns to gold. Like I give him this project, it goes great. I give him this, it moves forward. I, I give him this, we make more money than we expected to the point where he sees something different in Joseph. And the Bible says that, that he saw a different spirit. There was something different about Joseph. And so to the point where Potiphar says, I am going to not worry about anything, and I'm going to put this young man, this Hebrew slave, in charge of everything I own, in charge of all my staff, in charge of everything. I'm not even going to worry about it because everything he touches moves forward. And so Joseph becomes almost like a chief of staff that's running everything. But in the midst of, and think about being Joseph, you're now a young man, you're in your early 20s, man, you're starting to kind of, okay, it's starting to go better, things are starting to go well for you, you've gotten some promotions, man, you, you know you'll never see your family again, but at least life's going better. But while Potiphar is noticing Joseph, Potiphar's wife is also noticing Joseph. And, and look with me at what happens as Potiphar's his wife begins to notice Joseph, and Joseph continues to be faithful, and literally the rug gets pulled out from under him again. Look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. Potiphar's wife has come to Joseph, and she is asking Joseph to sleep with her, and this is Joseph's response. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So Joseph, being faithful, doing his job, things are going well. And all of a sudden, this lady begins to literally, the Bible says, day after day after day, come to him and ask, hey, sleep with me. And Joseph, he, he's in a spot now where he said no, he says no, he said, he, he, he's avoiding her. 
But she kind of comes up with like this one last shot plan. She makes sure everybody else is out of the house. And she comes to Joseph one more time and says, hey, sleep with me. And it, the Bible says that Joseph literally ran out of the house, just left his coat there, ran out of the house, just got away from her. And instead of kind of being humble and saying, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to keep coming after this kid. Man, she gets upset. She's embarrassed. And now she goes to her husband and says, this young man, this Hebrew slave, he is, he's trying to take advantage of me. He's trying to rape me. He's, he's trying to throw himself at me. And now Joseph, who has done nothing but be faithful, is sent to prison. And he's put in prison to rot forever. There's no lawyer for an appeal. This is like, you're in prison. Get out of here. You blew it. Falsely accused. Abandoned. Rejected. Again. And all he has done is be faithful. All he has done is help other people grow what they had and make their life better. He's only done good for Potiphar. And now he finds himself in prison. Abandoned by his family, falsely accused, and maybe if you were in that spot, maybe if I was in that spot, that would be the breaking point where we just said, forget it. This faithfulness thing is obviously not working out well, so I'm going to just have to go with a different plan. I'm done with faithfulness. But yet, Joseph's life screamed this message, confident God is with me and has a plan I will seek to be faithful. And so he finds himself in prison. And this prison is, is a special prison. It's the prison where people that have worked for the government and have had high positions, when they get in trouble, they find themselves in this prison. So this is where Watergate, those guys, they're, they're, they're like in the prison with, with Joseph. And down the road, some Russia stuff's happening. Maybe somebody in there is going to be in there. And so this is the type of prison. And so Joseph, he, he's doing what he's always done. He's just being faithful. He finds himself in a prison, really there to rot, no hope of getting out, but he decides to be faithful. And the warden begins to notice, man, man, this, this Hebrew slave, I know they said he did this thing at Potiphar's house, but man, this kid, everything he touches seems to get better to the point where the warden begins to see Joseph and he begins to see what he can accomplish and see his leadership. And he tells Joseph, he gives Joseph the run of the whole place. Joseph becomes in charge of all the prisoners and the entire prison. And again, he's still just a young man. He's, a, he's not even from there. And, and now he's in charge of the whole prison. And one day while he's in the prison, he, he comes up and he begins to talk to a guy that was the cupbearer for the king, the guy that tasted the food for the king. And the baker. And these guys were in prison. For whatever reason, the king got mad at them. And so they find themselves in prison. And, and Joseph, he sees these guys one morning. And he, he sees, man, these guys, what's wrong, guys? I can tell something's wrong. You, you look distraught. And both of them like, man, you know what, Joseph? We had these weird dreams last night. And, and I don't, uh, for me, if I have a weird dream, I'm like, okay, I tell maybe one or two people, but I, it ain't going to ruin my day the next day. But these guys, like, my, their day's ruined, and, and it, it's obvious they're upset. And so Joseph says, hey, I, I can't really help you with the dream, but, but I know a God that can. And so why don't we, let's talk about your dream. Maybe we can, we can figure something out. And so they say, all right, well, the cupbearer goes first. Let me tell you what my dream was about. The cupbearer says, well, there was this vine, and on the vine there were three branches, and the branches had some grapes, and I took a cup, I squeezed the grapes, put some juice in the cup, and I gave it to the king. 
And Joseph says, oh, that's easy. Basically, what that means is in three days, you're going to get out of here, and you're going to be serving the king again. Oh, man, I mean, think, think about being the cupbearer. Well, this is good news, great news. Well, now the baker, it's his turn. He's like, wow, that's good news for the cupbearer. Let me tell you my dream, and let me hear my good news. And he says, well, here's what my dream was. I had three baskets on my head, and in those baskets, there were some bread and some, some different foods. And, and all of a sudden, in my dream, these birds came and started eating some of the food in the baskets. And Joseph said, well, that's easy. Your dream says that you're going to get out of here in three days too, but you're actually going to get impaled, and you won't be alive in four days. And so the baker, man, he finds out, yeah, you're getting out, but you're getting killed. I don't know if he really made some bad muffins, and the king's just like, I'm just going to kill him. But here's what's interesting. Exactly what Joseph predicted happened. So three days later, the baker, they come and get the baker, and it doesn't go well for him. Three days later... They come to get the cupbearer, and before they take the cupbearer out, Joseph says, hey, do not forget me. Remember your boy that helped you out in the prison. Oh, I got you, man. And the cupbearer goes, and he's serving the king again. But then in in chapter 40, verse 23, it says this, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So once again, faithfulness doesn't pay off. Once again, Joseph was forgotten. Once again, he was abandoned. And from the world's perspective, once again, he was hopeless, had no future. And now he finds himself in the prison. He had, what a great chance he had. He was going to have a guy that had access to the king that could have helped him out. The guy totally forgets about him. And now days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by, and nothing. And then all of a sudden, as the cupbearer is is working for the the king, which they called Pharaoh, Pharaoh wakes up one morning, and guess what he had the night before? He had a dream. That's what, a lot of dreams in this story. And and Pharaoh, he's very distraught about his dream. And when I tell you his dream, you're going to be like, yeah, that's a weird dream. Well, here's what his dream was, he's, and, and he, he's distraught about it, so he brings his wise men together. He says, let me tell you what I dreamed about last night. Here's the first part of my dream. There were seven really fat cows. Okay, seven fat cows. And then there were seven, like, sick-looking, really nasty cows, and the seven sick, nasty cows ate the seven fat cows. Okay, well, that, that's definitely, yeah, you're right, that's weird, Pharaoh. Okay, well, let me tell you the second part of my dream. There were seven heads of corn that, like, were great, beautiful. And then there were seven, like, nasty, skinny. And the seven heads of corn, and again, this weird pizza the night before when you have corn eating corn. But these seven nasty, skinny heads of corn ate the other seven fat heads of corn. And so Pharaoh's like, so tell me what this means. And his wise men are like, I can't help you with it, man. I have no clue what that means, but it's weird. And then the cupbearer is is there by Pharaoh, and he says, Hey, by the way, I do remember somebody that there was this little Hebrew boy. I think his name was Joseph. He was a slave, and he was in prison with us. And when I had a dream, and when the baker had a dream, he told us what our dreams meant and exactly what he said happened. And so Pharaoh, man... 
He's, he's listening up. And, and if you look at Genesis chapter 41, and imagine being Joseph. So you have been sitting in prison now for over two years since the cupbearer left. At this point, you have no hope. At this point, like, you make the guys in Duck Dynasty look clean-shaved. I mean, you've let the beard grow. You haven't changed clothes in maybe like a half a year. It is, you're not getting out. And then all of a sudden, God does something, and a knock comes to that prison door. And, and let's look and see what happens. Genesis chapter 41, verse 14, it says this. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes... He came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph, instead of saying, oh yeah, yeah, I'm your guy, dude. He says, ah, you heard wrong, man. I can't. I can't interpret your dream. But then he says this, but God will give Pharaoh the answer to his dream. And so Pharaoh begins to say, okay, let me tell you the dream, Joseph. And Joseph says, after he tells him the dream, he says, I, I can tell you what it means. You're going to have seven years of plenteous, like abundant crops. You're going to have the seven best years you've ever had as far as gathering crops. It is going to go really good the next seven years. You're going to have way more than you need in your country. But then after that, you're going to have seven more years. And it's going to be the seven worst years that you've ever had. There's going to be famine all over the land of Egypt. There's going to be famine all over the world. There's going to be food. The food will be very scarce. People will be hurting. They'll be hungry. It's going to be awful. And Joseph, as he's talking to Pharaoh, he says, and here's what you need to do. You need to find a wise man that can come and give all his time to preparing this and building barns and gathering food over the years where things are going well so that when things begin to go bad the, the last seven years that you're prepared and pharaoh he's, he's not an idiot he's listening in and and he's hearing this young man and he says this as he's listening to joseph lay out this plan his response was this can we find anyone like this man one in whom is the spirit of god and so at the age of 30, who just literally a few hours before was sitting in a dungeon and had no hope of getting out anytime soon, Joseph is now made second in command of the entire country. Pharaoh gives him a ring, which signifies power. He gives him a chariot. He tells everyone that, that Joseph is in charge. Whatever Joseph says goes around this country. And Joseph does exactly what he told the, the Pharaoh that he needed to do. He uses those seven good years and puts a plan together and begins to gather food. And the Bible tells us that he gathered so much food that about halfway through those seven years, they just stopped counting. They stopped keeping track because there was so much. But then after the seven years of plenty, seven years of famine began and exactly what Joseph said happened. 
Egypt became kind of like the light for the whole world. Egypt became the only place where there was food that was abundant. And, and so people all over Egypt came and all over the known world. And they came to Egypt to get food so they could survive. And Joseph literally saved his entire country. He saved the known world. And he made his boss a lot of money in kind of as he was doing it. But a few years into the seven years of bad, Joseph looks up and he sees 11 dudes coming his way. And he sees 11 really familiar faces. And what's interesting is Joseph's 11 brothers that were coming to Egypt to get food because they had none where they were at didn't recognize Joseph. And Joseph had a decision to make. See, he was no longer in the dungeon. He was no longer being falsely accused. He didn't need God anymore. He was on the top of the world. He had everything he could ever want. He had power, money, everything. He could have chosen to get revenge, and rightfully so because of what his brothers did. But see, Joseph understood that God was with him. And that God had a plan. And so even at the top of the mountain, he was faithful, just like when he was in the dungeon. And so when his brothers come to him, he, he kind of he, he messed with them a little bit. He, he had a little fun with them. And he, he sent them back to their dad. And he, he messed with them a little bit. But eventually, he, he, he kind of unmasked himself. And he told his brothers who he was. And in one of the most emotional passages in the entire Old Testament... Joseph unveils kind of the mask and says, I am Joseph. And the Bible tells you that the scene is interesting. Joseph sends everybody out of the room, out of the house, except for his brothers. And as he tells his brothers who he is, it says he cries so loud that the people outside are like, what is going on? But watch Joseph's perspective as he talks to his brothers and in this perspective, just a few verses tells you a lot about why Joseph was able to be faithful when he was. Look at Genesis 45, verse 4. As Joseph begins to interact with his brothers and tell them who he really is, it says this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So Joseph, I mean, he literally looks at his brothers and he says, guys, don't even be mad at yourself. Don't even feel bad because what you did, yeah, you were jerks. You sold me. That was not nice. But man, what you did was all part of God's plan and God has sent me before you to save you. And you, you think about, how does this guy who's now in his early 30s, he's looking at the guys that sold him, that hated him, and yet he literally is looking at them saying, guys, don't even feel bad about it. How do you have that perspective? And, and here's, I think, the key to the whole story. Joseph's story wasn't about Joseph. It was about God. And so because the story was about God, he was able to forgive. 
because the story was about God and God's plan, he was able to be faithful whether he was on the mountaintop or whether he was in the dungeon because it, it wasn't all about him because when I make it all about me, my circumstances affect my commitment level in a huge way. When I make the story all about me, when times get tough, I leave. When I make the story all about me, when times get tough, I manipulate. But when the story's all about God, whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you just had the, the rug pulled out from under you, you understand God is with you and God has a plan and I can be faithful no matter where I find myself. Many times what, what we find ourselves doing just naturally is when the tough times come, we try to sneak out from under them. Like, why do I want a tough time? Why do I want a hard thing in my life? And yet Joseph, and I don't know how he did because he was so young, but he somehow understood and had a perspective that allowed him to step into hard times instead of avoiding them. And it was those hard times, those things that he learned going through those hard times that prepared him to save the world, literally. And be second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. And, and here's the bottom line about Joseph's life. If he wouldn't have been faithful in the dungeon, he probably would have never found himself in the palace. And here's the thing. It's not like he could see the future. It's not like he's sitting here like, okay, if I can just hang on. If I can do the right thing here. You know what? I've got my room picked out in the palace. It's just a few years away. He didn't know. He thought he was going to rot in prison. And yet, he was faithful. And so here's my question for you. What would your life look like? What would the ramifications of this be if you believed the way Joseph believed? What would the ramifications on your life be if the generation before you would have believed the way Joseph believed? What if grandpa, what if dad, what if mom, what if great-grandma would have not allowed circumstances to affect their commitment level? How would your life be different? For some of you, you look at generation before you and you say, my life is, is different in a good way because they were faithful. Because they, you do hear stories about tough times they went through, about challenges they faced, but yet they remained faithful. And it's because of that that you are the way you are. See, when we make the story all about us, and let's be honest, we all do that. Like when you wake up in the morning, if you're like me, you think of one person. I think about me, first thing. And you know what? Usually the next hour, I'm thinking about me. And in my natural bent, in my flesh, I'm thinking about me, me, me. And, and, and when things get tough for me, I want to get away from tough times. That's my natural bent. But what we learn from Joseph is the classroom for growing, the classroom for being prepared for the next season many times finds itself in tough times. And the, the times that Joseph found himself in the bottom of the well, in the caravan on its way to Egypt, in the prison, prepared him for the future. And so as we close, I want to have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. And I just want you to think about that question that I, that I just asked you. What would the ramifications on your life be 
if you believed what Joseph believed. And here's what Joseph believed. We've talked about it. He believed that God was with him and that God had a plan. And because of that, he sought to be faithful. Maybe you're here and you say, Chris, I'm going through a season where the rug has been pulled out from under me. And you say, you know what, if I'm honest, I have been tempted to throw in the towel. I've been tempted to manipulate the situation. I've been tempted to to take the easy way out. And maybe from Joseph's life today, we're just reminded that in order to be what God wants us to be, we have to go through maybe a, a season of tough. And we have to be faithful. And and we can only do that because of God. That's what's interesting. We can't even do it on our own. He actually gives us the power to be faithful to Him. Maybe you're in a season and you'd say, you know what? Things couldn't be better. And, And you feel bad for those that are going through tough times, but you're pretty happy about how things are going for you. And sometimes it's harder to be faithful and committed to God and what He wants when things are really good. And so for you, you're in a season where things are going really well and and what you need to ask God is, God, help me in this season to steward this season well and be faithful because you're with me and you have a plan. And here's what the whole thing comes down to. It comes down to confidence in God. Confidence in God. As we sit here, we have about 50 students at camp. And one of the things that I've prayed for our students and and, and am hoping over this next couple days before they come back is that they come back with greater confidence in God. So that when they go off to college or business or wherever life takes them, that whether things are going really well or whether things are going not so well, that their confidence in God allows them to be faithful. And maybe in the quietness of this room, you would just cry out to God in your heart and say, God, would you remind me and help me to remember that you are with me and that you have a plan. And God, you don't waste a second. You use everything to make me more like your son. Help me to be faithful. Lord, I pray for each of us. I pray, Lord, that we would, as Joseph, seek to be faithful whether we're in the palace or in the dungeon. And God, we need your help because it is not easy. And and when things are going tough, our natural bent is to get away from it and to manipulate things and, and not be committed. But God, we need you. We're desperate for you. Lord, we ask that you would give us greater confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.